You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Scholl, and I want to continue with our political philosophy uh, uh, program, and uh, I want to begin the Republic of Plato. And there will be um, uh, a gradual reading our way through the ten books of the Republic. And I want to follow, begin with uh, book number one. So what I'll ask you to do is to uh, read the first uh, book and, uh, and then uh, listen to what I have to say here and then read it again, the first uh, book or the first chapter. Uh, you need to sit down and, and pay attention to the drama, uh, to the characters, to what's going on, and uh, remember that there are ten books, and they all come together. They all fit together in a coherent whole. As I said before, there's nothing in Plato that he didn't put there, so every word is there uh, because he put it there. So the trial of Socrates in 399 B.C., as you recall, is witnessed by the young Plato, though he is sick, and not present at his last day, which is the subject matter of the Phaedo. There are three dialogues of the death of Socrates, the Apology, the Crito, and the Phaedo. One should include also the youthful as the fourth. It takes place the day before that trial. It deals with Miletus, the chief prosecutor of Socrates, and the question of piety. Socrates is trying to learn about about it, but Miletus, who is supposed to be an expert in it, will not teach him. And these dialogues were mostly written when Plato was a young man, uh, not much older than most undergraduates. The Phaedo comes later. Uh, the Republic is written during his middle years, uh, the middle years of Plato, and the laws were written during his old age, and of course all of the other dialogues in between. Though Socrates is long dead when the Phaedo was written, the problem of Socrates is not ended, at least not in the soul of Plato. His lifetime question is, how is it possible that the best city killed the best man? There are subsequent questions. Did it have to happen? Is there a city in which it would not happen? And what about the characters of those in the trial, uh, what about them explains their presence and their choices and their actions. What Plato seems to suggest is that every character from the society, in whatever form, is symbolically pleasant at the trial of Socrates. This includes ourselves. The character, the careful meaning of the trial is the uh, reproduction of the actual trial in our souls. So if you read the trial, you're uh, uh, reproducing it in your own mind, in your own soul. <clears throat> Socrates was most concerned with the souls of the potential philosophers, the young men of Athens, those who had not yet decided what end their lives would be directed to. He recognized something that we will see in Book 2 or Book 7 of the Republic, namely, how long it took 
for someone to properly be educated in the virtues and uh, mature enough with experience enough to be a philosopher. The Republic is a long, brilliant dialogue, one of the most fundamental documents in intellectual history, in intellectual formation. It is not intelligible without the three actual uh, trial dialogues, the four dialogues, really, and it must be read again and again. The spirit uh, with which I want you to read these uh, dialogues of Plato as other books is what Simon called that of being uh, intelligently teachable, or as I call it, eminently teachable. This approach does not mean that everything will be clear with one hasty reading. That is all right. Uh, to be uh, perplexed, uh, remember the word in Schumacher, to be perplexed is a good experience. But I want you to catch at least some of the initial wonder that is the reading of Plato. Plato is charming and uh, enticing to read. Remember also that the total number of pages of the uh, extant opera omnia, the collected works of Plato, that we have in an English translation is 1,746 pages, of which total uh, what you are to read comes to 337 pages. So Plato ponders many things in, order, in other ways in different dialogues, some 40 or so in all, all of which, uh, nonetheless, have some relation to the death of Socrates. Remember, too, that when you read Plato, you read someone uh, in which all branches of knowledge are uh, represented in some orderly and intelligible way. Plato stands for the proposition that to know something, you have to know everything. The Republic is a book in philosophy, politics, theology, poetry, literature, mathematics, psychology, history, epistemology, you name it. We can be overwhelmed by this vastness and probably should be. But remember, Socrates thought it was worth uh, his life uh, to spend it on keeping Athens alive, examining its soul, in asking questions of potential philosophers to get them to see what is. The young men in the Republic, uh, the potential philosophers, are of a special interest. Two of them, Edimantos and Glaucon, are the brothers of Plato. The potential philosophers in the Apology, the sons of the leaders of the day who were trying Socrates, uh, imitated Socrates. This is what made their fathers angry, <clears throat> but they were playing, and Socrates was concerned with the real question of how they would choose to live their lives and on what basis. First notice the subtitle of the Republic. This may or may not uh, fully tell us what it is about, but titles are significant. <clears throat> Recall the difference and the implications of the Platonic title 
uh, St. Augustine gave to his great work, the Republic. The Republic, uh, so the City of God was Augustine, which is in a way the same title as the Republic. The Republic has 10 books uh, or chapters. Uh, it looks like the book should end at the end of book four when we get there. And you ought to ask yourself, why? Is any, in any case, there are uh, five definitions of justice in the Republic, which is justice is its subtitle. The first three are in book one, the second in book two, and the third in book four. In reading this famous text, you will be uh, uh, you will encounter a graphic uh, point, and indeed, generally, you can recount the whole argument of the Republic from one or two of these uh, uh, incidents or stories. The foundation myth, the myth of Gaijin, the ship captain, the cave, the myth of Ur, these are all stories or myths in the Republic, and they're the ones that are the most famous. We'll see as we go along. While reading the text, ask yourself, what am I doing? reading this text. Indeed, what is uh, this whole program all about? Why read the Republic at the, uh, at the end of our considerations and not at the beginning? We began the course with the first and greatest student of Plato, namely the great Aristotle. And it is safe to say Plato uh, remains the standard and the best, everything that follows is uh, related to Plato, either to affirm him or to reject him. But there is no rejection that is not anticipated in some form by Plato himself or certainly by Aristotle. A most of Hobbes or Machiavelli is already in Plato, even Nietzsche. But Nietzsche understood this. Note well, my comments here are not repeated, are not a substitute for reading the text itself, the reading of which continuously is what education is about. I also know uh, people have time and other things to do and constraints, so we do it in a reasonable way. The Republic begins with Socrates, Glaucon, and a few others at the Piraeus the seaport of Athens. They are there to enjoy the festivities. Seaports are outside the city. That is, it is where the world meets the city. New peoples and goods coming in, others going out. Socrates and friends begin to return up to the city when a slave, a servant of Polemarchus, who is the son of Cephalus, runs up to stop them. So get this drama. The first conversation begins here. Why should we stop? Remember, there is nothing in a dialogue of Plato that is not intended to be there. The scene is lighthearted. Polemarchus says, Well, don't you see? We outnumber you. There is a playful kind of hint of force here. Socrates suggests there is another way which turns out to be by persuasion. 
This is, of course, already the great theme contained in all of uh, politics, the conflict between force and coercion. Polemarchus tells Socrates that his elderly father, Cephalus, wants to see him at his home, and Cephalus is a friend of Socrates. Cephalus is old and rich, and Cephalus complains to Socrates that he, Socrates, does not come down and see him much any longer. He can't go up to the city because he is too old. <clears throat> Socrates characteristically tells Cephalus that he is delighted to chat with old men. When they have been down a path, we shall all have to follow. So we want to know how it is, what it is like. And Cephalus tells Socrates that he has not found old age miserable like most old men who sit around complaining about the loss of pleasure and strength and fame. The next topic, then, is old age. You will recall that Cicero specifically recalls this conversation in his treatise on old age. Note, this uh, uh, means that Cicero read Plato. This is what civilization is about, reading Plato and those who do. Socrates suggests that reason, that the reason Cephalus uh, is a happy old age is because he is rich. Uh, this gets to a discussion of wealth inherited and um, earned. Cephalus notes uh, that many old men sit around complaining, but that is not because they have disciplined their lives. Cephalus uh, does admit, however, that as one gets older, he begins to look back on his life to see if it was well lived. If not, it is helpful to be rich because then we can uh, pay back what we owe to others and also perhaps offer some sacrifice or prayers uh, to buy off the angry gods. This brings up the first definition of justice to return what is due, which is the classical definition, to return what is due, and also the second part, to tell the truth. To this argument, Socrates brings up the famous case of lending or borrowing a sword from a man who later becomes a madman. Just at this point, Asiphalus goes off for his pious duties, and his son Polemarchus takes up the argument. Rarely are the old uh, interlocutors in the discussion of Socrates. Polemarchus is the potential philosopher. He carries on the next stage of the argument. <clears throat> Obviously, you do not return the sword to a man who has become mad, even if it is his sword. What this implies, uh, which is why truth is uh, added to the definition, is that lending is a rational act and presupposes reason. If a man is mad and has a sword, you cannot argue with him, only uh, defend yourself against him. And notice that to defeat, uh, defeat one's premise, all one needs to do is uh, to cite one exception to the universal rule. 
And this does not end the controversy, but it opens it up. So the exception of the rule is uh, of returning all things. What it do is that you don't return a sword to a madman. Ptolemarchus offers a second definition. Justice is doing good to your friends and evil to your enemies. And Socrates answers this issue, as he often does in other dialogues, with the analogy of crafts. But first he wants to know if we are certain that we know who our friends or our enemies are. If we are not uh, sure, it could happen that we benefit our enemies and harm our friends. And moreover, a craft, say medicine, has as its purpose the good of the object it serves, not the good of the server. So the doctor, as doctor, is uh, to harm no one. Recall the passage from the Hippocratic Oath uh, that I read, as I cited, um, as cited by Nietzsche, that is that we should never harm our enemies, our friends, our patients. Uh, the just man should not harm anyone, in fact. Uh, the saying of doing good to friends and evil to enemies is a statement of the, uh, the wealthy. I can think it belongs to Periander or to Perdiccas, this is Socrates speaking, or to Xerxes or to uh, Ismenas uh, 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 of Corinth or some such wealthy man who believes himself to have uh, great power. End of the quote, 336a. Listening to this conversation with increased annoyance is the Sophist Thrasymachus. With some petulance, he breaks in shortly uh, and shouts that the conversation is stupid. Everyone knows what justice is. What is it? Socrates asks him. Uh, it is the interest of the stronger. The rest of the book, one, is a two-part uh, dismantling of this view that justice is the interest of the stronger. This is essentially the argument of Machiavelli or any uh, who holds that justice is power or interest of the stronger, either individually or politically. The exchange is often amusing. Socrates, for instance, begins by asking if justice means beating the strong, the strongest local wrestler, plenty of uh, stake. Thrasymachus repeats uh, the old view that Socrates never takes anything seriously. The old accusers from the Apology claim uh, that he makes the weaker part of the argument stronger. Socrates again wants to know if Thrasymachus knows who is the strongest. Behind this book is also the argument that the strong man is the happiest man, that everyone would be, uh, would be strong if he could be. In any case, Socrates has, uh, has, has forced Thrasymachus uh, to admit that we must know who is the strongest. So uh, there is a principle of reason at work, <clears throat> not just force. Thrasymachus thinks all citizens are ruled by tyrants, no matter which form they take. That is, they are ruled in the interest of the strongest group within them. This means that we have to 
um, obey all rulers and that it is just to follow them. What if they do not know what is just? Do we follow them then? Pacificus' position is undermined. Thrasymachus tries to cover himself. Um, a ruler, qua ruler, never makes an error. And Socrates now uh, forces Thrasymachus to admit that the analogy of the ruler, qua ruler, does not argue for the interest of the stronger. The uh, doctor, qua doctor, looks to the weak, uh, that is, uh, to their uh, diseases to their illness, uh, not to his own private good. The ruler, qua ruler, rules for the good of the ruled, not for his own good. To refute this view, Thrasymachus gets rather huffy. He tells Socrates he does not know what he is talking about. Everyone knows that the sheep herder is interested in the sheep to fatten them up for the slaughter. So his care is not for the good of the sheep, but for his own pockets. And Socrates answers with the basic argument that you cannot uh, do maximal injustice unless you do some justice. That is, uh, to be maximally unjust, say, a band of robbers, you have to be just among yourselves. Otherwise, you will be defeated. So, in order to be unjust, you have to be just. At this point, even Thrasymachus seems defeated, and he becomes uh, a kind of silent friend of Socrates throughout the rest of the dialogue. Socrates affirms at the end that he still does not know what justice is, though by implication he knows something of what it is not. Um, the claim um, that the unjust man is the happiest man is still in the air and still has to be uh, dealt with. Try to follow this key argument of Book 1. Book 1 clears the air, but it provides a setting for uh, the spirit of the dialogue. As readers, we are to understand the argument and the positions as one uh, recurring again and again in human discourse and history. To recall Schumacher, they are not refuted or um, invented once and for all. We all must take a stand on their implication, that is, decide what principles of justice will be the one according to which we form our own soul. Plato uh, is not talking about someone else. There are many famous principles found in Book 1. An example is found at the uh, question of the payment of rulers, uh, number 347a uh, to d. Uh, this number, 347a, is known as a Stephanus number. Uh, from the critical German uh, edition of the Greek text. It is analogous to the Becker number in Aristotle, that is, 1, 2, 3, 4, B, 3. And that's how you identify the, where you are in the, in the Platonic text. 
So 347a will tell you exactly the quotation, the quotation we're talking about. There are three types of payment, Socrates points out. Uh, money, honor, and a third. And the third is most interesting. Now, the greater punishment, if one is not willing to rule, is to be ruled by someone worse than oneself. And I think it's the fear of this that makes decent people rule when they do. They approach ruling not as something good uh, or something to be enjoyed, but as something necessary, <clears throat> since it can't be entrusted to anyone better or uh, than or even as good as they themselves. In the city of the good men, if it came into being, the citizens would fight uh, in order not to rule, and just as they do now, in order to rule. There it would be uh, quite clear uh, that anyone who is uh, really a true, a true ruler uh, doesn't uh, by nature seek his own advantage, but only his, uh, the advantage of his subject. Stephanus, the old man, says that as he gets older, quote, my desire for conversation and its pleasantries grow in 328d. Just earlier, Polemarchus had said, after dinner, we will go out and look at the uh, festival show. We will be joined by, by many of the young men, and we will talk, the end of the quote. We will talk, the conversation, the seeking the truth. The next one, medicine does not seek its own advantage, then, but that of the body, the end of the quote, 32042c. The end of medicine is not the good of the doctor, but the good of the patient. The next is 351e to 354a, where he says, Does injustice lose its power uh, to cause uh, dissension when it arises within a single individual, or will it preserve it intact? Let it be uh, preserved intact. Apparently, then, injustice has the power first to make whatever it, it arises in, whether it is a city, a family, an army, or anything else, incapable of achieving anything uh, as a unit because of the civil wars and differences it creates. And second, it makes that unit uh, an enemy to itself and to what is in every way its opposite, namely justice. End of the quote. The next quote is from 351b. Quote, Would you, Thrasymachus, say that it is unjust for a city to try to enslave other cities unjustly uh, and to hold them sub uh, subject to, in subjection when it is uh, has enslaved them uh, many of them, of course, that is what the best city will especially do, the one that is most uh, completely unjust. Understand that is your position. 
But the point I want to examine is this. Will the city that becomes strongest, uh, stronger than any other, achieve its powers without justice? Or will it need the help of justice? The end of the quote. 351b. In 353d, he says, Come then, and let us consider this. Is there some function of a soul that you couldn't uh, perform with anything else? For example, taking care of things, ruling, deliberating, and the, the like. Is there anything other than a soul uh, to which you could rightly assign these uh, actions and say that they are uh, peculiar, uh, it's peculiar functions. So the peculiar functions of the soul are what he is talking about. And if you don't have those, uh, the power of ruling and deliberating and thinking, uh, you, you are not really a human being. In 3.30.52d, he says, When they start doing unjust things, they were only halfway corrupted by their injustice. Those who are all bad and completely unjust are completely incapable of accomplishing anything. Those are the things I understood, uh, understood to to hold, understand to hold, uh, not the ones you first maintain. We must now examine whether just people also live better and are happier than unjust ones. I think it's clear already that this is so, but we must look into it further, since the arguments concern no ordinary topic but the way we ought to live, the end of the quote. So this is no ordinary topic, how we ought to live. Finally, there are a number of issues in Book 1. What is justice and its definition? Uh, if we are just, are we happy? Uh, why are not the unjust who uh, do what they want more happy? The Republic is concerned with all of these uh, questions. Um, the end of our consideration of Book One. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.